Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Danielle Friedman is the author of Let's Get Physical. Should I start singing that, by the way? Let's get physical, physical. I want to get physical. Let's get in a physical. Let me hear your body talk. Oh my gosh, I'm obviously way too tired. Okay, anyway, Danielle Friedman is the author of Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. She's an award-winning multimedia journalist who specializes in telling stories at the intersection of health, sexuality, and culture. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine's The Cut, Vogue, Glamour, Harper's Bazaar, The Washington Post, NBC News, InStyle, The Daily Beast, Health, and other publications. She recently worked as a freelance development editor at Amazon Original Stories, where she edited novella language nonfiction. Other recent projects include Fusion TV's Peabody-nominated television show Sex Right Now, which she co-produced, and The Guardian's Motherload series, which she co-edited. From 2014 to 2016, Danielle launched and ran Fusion's Sex Plus Life vertical, growing it to become the site's most popular section. Previously, she worked as a senior editor at NBCNews.com, where she ran the site's front page and broke the viral story that Facebook and Apple had begun to pay for females' employees to freeze their eggs. The feature won the 2015 Gracie Award for Best Digital News Story and generated commentary in more than 40 outlets from the New York Times to the New Yorker. Before that, she worked as a senior editor at the Daily Beast, where she served as deputy to the executive editor, oversaw health and lifestyle coverage, and co-ran live coverage of Tina Brown's Women in the World Summit. She began her career as a nonfiction book editor at the Penguin Imprints, Hudson Street, Press, and Plume, where she acquired and edited health, culture, humor, and memoir titles. Danielle holds a BA in English from Duke University and an MS from Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. She lives in New York City with her husband, NBC News reporter Daniel Arkin, and their son. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to read books to discuss Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. Thank you so much for having me. I was so excited, even from the first time I got 
like a pitch letter or galley, whatever of this. And I saw this cover and the topic. I am probably, I'm a few years older than you, but like grew up in the exact same way in terms of fitness and trends. And oh my gosh. And reading this, I'm like, Anyway, why don't you, let me back up. Why don't you, I'm so excited. Tell listeners a little about what this book is about and how you decided to write it and sort of why you, why you did it. Yeah. So the book is a cultural history of women's fitness. It begins in the 1950s and makes its way to the present. I think a lot of people assume that women's fitness history begins with Jane Fonda. And while she had a tremendous impact that I write about, there's actually a fascinating, rich, complex history that begins many decades before. And the book came about because about five years ago, when I was getting ready for my wedding, I decided to take my first bar class. And I loved how the classes made me feel, but also as a women's health journalist and a feminist journalist, I just became intrigued with the whole culture. And I also noticed that many of the moves in class felt sort of comically erotic and sexual, (laughs) which was extra interesting to me because no one seemed to be acknowledging that. So what began as a piece looking into whether there were sexual health benefits to the bar workout turned into an exploration of the origins. And it led me to the creator of bar, Lottie Burke, who invented the method. She was a a German dancer living in London, invented the method in the 1950s. And sure enough, she was really ahead of her time when it came to encouraging women to tap into their own desire and to just improve the sex lives of women by encouraging them to connect with their bodies. So I wrote about her story for The Cut. And even while I was still, while I was still reporting that story, I, I sort of started to see that there was a much bigger story here. I also, at one point, was like, well, I would love to talk to the woman or the person who wrote the history of women's fitness. And I was pretty shocked to discover that that book didn't exist. So, you know, we went down one wormhole after another, one rabbit hole after another, and that brought me to this story. Wow. It's amazing. I know you point out in the introduction or somewhere that there's lots of research on sports, right? Women athletes, but fitness, which takes up so much of our time and mental bandwidth and advertising and everything else has been so underreported, which is really crazy. So this is all about, you know, write the book that you wish you had. It's exactly right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think until pretty recently fitness and especially women's fitness just has sort of not been taken seriously. And I've been really encouraged over the past few years, even since I've been writing the book to see that begin to change and, you know, recognizing that, like you said, it's something that we just spend collectively billions of dollars and hours devoted to. And it has played such a important part, such an important part in so many women's lives over the past now 70 years, it's, I I felt it was time for it to get its due. I'm so glad you did it. I'm so glad. I mean, I grew up in the eighties with like, like you going to the aerobics classes with my mom. And I remember having this like sleeveless giant yellow shirt in big, bold black letters that said, Mm. stay alive in 85 with like my leg (laughs) warmers and everything. So all your talk about like the get fit Barbies and all that Mm -hmm. stuff, I was like in it. And actually my mom went to Lottie Burke like every day. 
Oh, wow. I should have so, talked to her before this podcast with you, by the way. I should have like, I should like have her join or something. But she was like, <laughs> uh, so like growing up, it's like, okay, after she finished her Gilda's phase, which was more aerobics, yeah. then she discovered, which dovetails with your whole timeline and your chapters. Then she mm-hmm. went into the Lottie Burke thing. And that was like, okay, I'm off to Lottie Burke. Like that was like all the time. And now to hear the history and by the way, even the Holocaust story behind Lottie Burke, that was, I couldn't believe that. Tell, you know, share more about the story of her escape and her, the tragedy in her family and all of that. Yeah. Well, she came from a pretty well-to-do family. Like I said, she was German and she was always a little bit of a rebel, even in deciding to become a dancer, but she followed that path and she became an acclaimed modern ballerina in, you know, all around Germany. And then in the 1930s, when the Nazis began to rise to power, she, you know, her family was under surveillance. And at one point she was due to give a recital with her then husband, who was also a dancer and who wasn't Jewish. And the Nazis basically distributed a pamphlet saying that, you know, just, just telling people not to come and warning them that they could be, they could be persecuted. So in a very dramatic story, basically her husband did the entire performance as if as if he was dancing with her. And then at the very end, she burst onto the stage and thanked the audience for not being Nazis. And then and then soldiers sort of stormed the stage and she had to flee. And the only reason she was really able to escape was because her husband had a British passport and, and wasn't Jewish. And so they were refugees. Her, her father, who she was very close with, actually perished in Auschwitz. So she came from a very, she had a, a very challenging early life. And then once she was in London, yeah, there wasn't as much of a, of an audience for the type of dance she did at that time. And so it was sort of necessity that led her to develop this exercise regimen. And she became a sensation in her forties. It wasn't, and and that's another thing that actually I love about so many of these pioneers. They really, they didn't find success in this area. In some cases they didn't even sort of launch their careers in this area until they were in their 40s. And as someone who recently turned 40 herself, <laughs> I was very attuned to that. Thank you. I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. I also love the way you kind of structured this book and the way you wrote it. I mean, each chapter tells like its own very interesting story and yet it's all woven together. When you transitioned from the first or second chapter to the third, I got like chill. Wait, hold on. I want to just read this line. You talked all about Lottie Burke, which I found fascinating. And I don't know, I cannot do bar classes to save my life. So, but I know how good they are supposed to be for everybody. Of course, now I can't. They're hard. You have to really psych yourself up. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'd rather do almost anything. But here, I'll just read these last two paragraphs, if that's okay, from the first or maybe the chapter. Yeah, the second, the end of the second chapter. When Lottie Burke first introduced women to her workout in the 60s, the class's sexual openness felt thrilling and empowering because it was taboo. Now more than 50 years after the sexual revolution, turning a rigorous strength training workout into something overtly sexual feels gratuitous. I want that hour to myself for my peace and my well-being and my mental health, Berlinard, the creator of the bar method, told me, echoing the feelings of other women I spoke with. I think that's what it does most powerfully. Then you say, back in the early 70s on New York City's Upper East Side, as society ladies and celebrities taxied to class at Linda Box Studio, they might have noticed a small cadre of women breaking a sweat right out in the open on Fifth Avenue, less than two blocks from the bar studio in and around the city's Central Park, 
women were discovering the joy of jogging. <laughs> I love that. I, I don't know. That just like gives me chills again. I did it. And then you go on to run. And I love how even you titled the chapters, run, burn, sweat, like all these, it's just so clever. It's, I just am loving the whole package of this book and, you know, and how, how like the, and the evolution of this whole industry and this, and how we've arrived here, like why aerobics and why Mm -hmm. are, and now this move to strength training, which I'm also really interested in. I just went to this like health clinic type place and, you know, I've been a cardio person, like Mm -hmm. I, maybe from this era, right? Like go to step aerobics and then I moved to running and then I moved to, you know, it's always like a cardio something, but really now there's this huge movement to lift strength training and how like mm-hmm. that's the most important thing. And you have a whole thing here about women and weightlifting and all of that. So tell me, tell me more about how we got to, or tell me a little more about what you know about strength training and sort of after all this research, like what should we do? Well, that is a great question. Yeah. And I mean, with, with strength training specifically and weights, you know, I should just say that as you know, a theme without throughout the book was basically how taboo it was for women to sort of intentionally cultivate strength for so much of the 20th century. And that sort of, that explains why so much exercise was not acceptable for women. You know, sweat was seen as, as also taboo, but there was nothing that was as sort of, it's one thing if you're going to aerobics and you can say, yeah, this is to become strong, but you know, it, it was sort of cloaked in the language also of figure shaping and beauty culture, but with, with lifting weights, with strength training for strength's sake, you know, there's no sort of, there's nowhere to hide really, you know, and so (laughs) of all of the movements that I write about, that one was the most, I think, kind of overtly feminist. And it took some really brave pioneers in the, starting in the late seventies, really to convince women that lifting weights and having visible muscle was not unfeminine and was worth pursuing. So we've come a, a really long way in that area specifically. I mean, you know, I I can speak from my perspective more as, as, a, as a journalist and cultural historian as opposed to um, necessarily <laughs> a, you know, a trainer. But, but we, yeah, we know for women, you know, especially as we get older, that strength training is so vital to our to our overall quality of life. And it's such an important complement to cardio and whether it's lifting weights or, or going to something like a bar class that uses, you know, body-based resistance, isometric training, it's all good. And so I think as this is the case for so many of the workouts I write about in the book, but you just you know, find the workout, uh, the regimen that feels good for you, that works for you, that doesn't feel like, that you don't dread. <laughs> there's also been, I mean, there's been a real shift over the past five or 10 years for women, especially toward focusing on not just what we traditionally think of as upper body, you know, as, as muscular strength, but as a focus on the pelvic floor and the, the kind of internal strength that you can't, that isn't cosmetic at all, but that can have a huge impact again on how we live our lives as we get older. So just do something. That's, <laughs> that's my biggest. Okay. We can't 
bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe. But we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and It makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. I know you guys can't, listeners can't see this, but as Danielle was talking about this last section, she sort of sat up to demonstrate like the importance of like strength and total strength and posture. And I just like sat right straight up too. (laughs) I have to remind myself every day. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody I just saw recently had like the best posture I'd ever seen. And I I was asking, it was a man. And I was like, how do you have like such amazing posture? And he's like, well, he had trained in acting. And anyway, he said, Mm. you have to envision it not from like your shoulders, but from like a point in the middle of your chest, like that's the point that yeah. has to like go up to the ceiling. So anyway, anytime I try to remember that I'm slouching over <laughs> this microphone again, and <laughs> thank you for that, that reminder. Point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you talk in the book about your own journey essentially through working out, and yes, the bar classes, but also your marathons and half mm-hmm. marathons, and how you like dance cardio, and you know having a whole range of things at your fingertips. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes it's very overwhelming, right? There's so many options, especially here in New York. Like you you said that you, you originally went to the bar class because a sign on the sidewalk kind of got your attention. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's like that, like every block though, it's like Mm -hmm. there are Mm -hmm. studios where you stand on, you know, what even are those things? They're, they like shock you or so you, you like stand on the platforms and they vibrate and that's oh, supposed to yeah. be, working. you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's coming to its end, but every other block, there's another studio yeah. with a different way and a different, mm-hmm. it, it's like, where do you start and where do you, it's very hard for people to know where to go and what's right for them and what they're going to like. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I think like for me, I've been so busy. I'm just like, I don't have time to even figure this out. So I'm just going to do nothing. Right. <laughs> Right. Which is bad. I I totally relate to that. Yeah. And and I think that sense of overwhelm has only been exacerbated by the fact that so many brands have now moved online too, which is great, but it's like, 
you know, I think it's that too much choice (laughs) isn't always a good thing. You know, I also think, and I write about this a little bit in the book, but there's such a feeling of collective burnout right now, especially Mm -hmm. among women and exhaustion. And I think when some of these workouts are pitched as sort of this all consuming lifestyle or as such a commitment, it can just feel like, like you said, I just, I don't have time for it, you know, And, and you end up doing nothing. I mean, for me, I, like you said, I love bar and running has always been my tried and true. It's what I've done throughout my whole life. I, this, this is not this, I think some people might sort of turn up their nose at this, but on those days when I don't feel like I have it in me to run or do a a strength-based workout, I've started just going for a walk. And, you know, and I actually think I've seen during the pandemic that there's been this kind of walking renaissance and walking has had its moments at various other points in fitness history too. But it's, you know, it's not going to necessarily, you're you're not going to necessarily break a sweat, but it, but it's, it's better than nothing Mm -hmm. if it feels good for you. So I think the best place to start is just with identifying what you can do that, you know, that doesn't feel like a burden and that, that you actually look forward to. And maybe it's something very basic and maybe it coincides with getting fresh air. Maybe it's just 10 minutes of stretching in the morning. And then, I mean, I think for me, so many of the workouts that I've tried have come from word of mouth, from a friend and just start somewhere. And then, you know, sometimes it's, it's just process of elimination. I think, I think a lot of people too, I mean, something I heard in my reporting was, women who tried something and didn't love it or felt really self-conscious, like they weren't good at it and then just kind of gave up fitness, you know, for a while. And I mean, it's so, it's so common to feel that way. So I think it's just about being kind to ourselves and and finding our thing. I feel like, did I miss or hold on? Cause maybe there, there's a whole obviously chapter of life, but I feel like you don't have a spin chapter and right. Ah, funny you should ask. <laughs> there, there was going to be a spin chapter. And in the end, let's, I'm saving that for, you know, next book. Or oh, for, okay. I mean, for, for something that I hope to write about in the future. But, you know, yeah, I really tried to focus on, the, I tried to focus on the pioneers and the fitness movements that really laid the foundation for the way that women work out today. And there is an interesting story. Of course, everything has a history. Everything has an origin story. But spinning sort of grew out of some of, so many of these other movements, you know, and and the shifting cultural mindsets that that basically said it was okay for women to sweat, to push themselves. And something that I think about all the time and that I I allude to in the last chapter of my book, the psychologist Kelly McGonigal, who is sort of one of my idols, she wrote most recently, The Joy of Movement, talks about research showing that the so often the ingredient that makes a workout kind of catch on or go viral is the introduction of synchrony, of working out alongside or in sync with other people. And that I think especially holds true for spinning, you know, because the bicycle has been around. There is a really interesting feminist history around the bicycle and suffrage and women's freedom of movement. But as far as studio-based spinning, it was that introduction of synchrony that I think really made it feel essential for people. Very interesting. Yeah. My newest, my newest, I've followed every fitness craze. I am, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever makes a program popular. I've done like 
I'm sure like you, I've tried every single thing along the way. Mm -hmm. And now I'm mostly into the Peloton app Mm -hmm. and they are a sponsor, but that's not why. (laughs) But literally recently I've been doing these 30 minute or 20 minute hit classes. Do you ever Mm -hmm. do hit? And I feel like it's so effective. Like, what do you think about Mm -hmm. that? I have, so I have to say, I haven't really gotten on the hit train yet myself, but I know so many people love it. And yeah, I mean, when I talk about exercising in a way that feels good, that doesn't necessarily mean easy. And it often doesn't like for me, running a marathon is one of coincides with the best I've felt in my whole life, both the training and the achievement, you know? And I think it gives you that quick, that, that intense burst of endorphins and energy and, and it's, it's time efficient as well, especially if you're doing like a 30 minute workout. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to think about sweating culturally, right? Mm -hmm. That for so long, women weren't supposed to do it. And then as you point out over time, yes, it became something that we could do. And so then people like took that to the extreme, right? These hot yoga and drenched in sweat and spin class and all of that. And now I feel like maybe we're getting to a point where it's like, but do we need to, you know I mean? It's like, it's like when you first start I don't know, doing anything that you weren't supposed to do, like drinking. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, then mm-hmm. you like go back mm-hmm. to a baseline where you're like, oh, okay, now I can have a glass of wine with dinner as opposed to like going out and partying. Maybe right. that's where we are with sweating, right? You know, like maybe mm-hmm. we don't need to sweat as much. Maybe just because we can, maybe we do a weightlifting thing for an hour and mm-hmm. we don't need to get so drenched and we can actually just go right back to work afterwards, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's extra time efficient, yeah. I mean, I, I agree completely with that premise. I think, you know, more recently, so in like the past 20 years, the millennial push toward optimization and toward sort of just 24 hour work mentality and culture has just increasingly upped the ante for what counts as working out. And, and granted, as I talk about in the book, I mean, eighties fitness culture was, also pretty extreme and many people sort of suffered consequences as a result, injuries born from, you know, overuse and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think fitness for a lot of people is understandably an outlet for feeling control and for pride and for generating these, this sense of purpose that they're maybe not feeling in other parts of their life. So for people who, you know, for whom it's serving that purpose in like a, a healthy way. It really feels like self-care. That's great. But I think there's also, I mean, there's, there's definitely an element of judgment and, and shame, you know, in terms of how hard, you know, there's such, there's a lot, a lot of performative fitness happening right now. And there has been for the past 15 or so years. So I, you know, I think that I keep coming back to it. It's simple, but it's just about moving in ways that feel good and that will, in in ways that will actually do. I have, I think about this a lot because actually for me over the, it started with my marathon training, excuse me, marathon training, but I do the Galloway method, which is run, walk, run. And it was started by this very, this well-known marathoner, Jeff Galloway. And I love it. It has completely prevented injury. My pace actually isn't any different because when you walk, your your muscles are recovering. But every time I see someone post like, I ran three miles without walking, I'm like, well, (laughs) you know, it's okay. It's like, there's just, there's no one way to do it. And I think 
you know, everyone just has to find, find the path that works for them, whether it's very sweaty or <laughs> whether it's uh, more, more meditative. Um, well, this book is so great and it's just, it's such an inspiration to know that every time, you know, I pick up my phone and like put on a, yeah, I don't know. What am I like Peloton stretch classes or like it's, I, I am coming, I'm a part of like the history of this whole thing that yeah. I am just a blip in the movement. And I am like reflective of the trends. And in 20 years, I'll probably be doing something else that hasn't even been invented because that's going to be the new thing. And I'll Mm -hmm. stop moving my body this way. So I don't know. I think understanding more about where all of this comes from is very empowering when it comes to making decisions about what to Mm -hmm. do with our own fitness today, which Mm -hmm. everybody is trying to figure out what to do and who to listen to and and all of that. So anyway. Thank you. Well, yeah, that, and that was certainly one of my goals, you know, was to show how all of these, what are these sort of fads are interconnected and part of this much larger story of women's empowerment and physical liberation. So I hope that readers take, take that away from it as well. I also love Olivia Newton-John. I had like major girl crush on her growing up Uh, (laughs) and that she was just the coolest. Okay. So you might be doing another book on spinning, anything else coming up that we should know about? (laughs) Well, I don't know if it would be an entire book on spinning, but at the moment I'm just, I'm just deep into the history of women's fitness culture and exploring, you know, how we can promote women's health and self-care in a way that, that lifts all women up. So it would be neat if you, through this books platform, start some sort of, you know, website that looks just like this and people kind of log their thing. Like, I feel like there's some community aspect that you could really harness with this book. You're right. Absolutely. And I did actually create an Instagram just for the book. That's kind of now become my professional Instagram and it's still, you know, it's kind of a, a baby community, but it's been so nice to connect with other women about on this topic and exactly what you said, you know, I think more and more people have started to share their experiences with me. And that was one of my favorite parts of reporting the book too, just speaking with women and especially women in their seventies, eighties, nineties, who lived this history about what movement has meant to them, you know, throughout their lives. So I love that idea. I would love to, to run with that a bit more. Awesome. Well, next time you, you need to interview my mom, basically, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she is such a fitness. I mean, she still runs like five miles and wow. strength training. I don't know. I can't keep up with her. I've never been able to, but anyway, mm-hmm. do you, last question, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh my gosh. Yes. And I actually, I started my career as a book editor at Penguin. So oh. I've, yeah, I've been on all sides of this advice for aspiring authors. I mean, the most obvious is just stick with it. It took me 18 months to write the proposal for this book and it coincided with having a baby. (laughs) So, and it took me about 18 months to write it. So, you know, give yourself the time that you need and stick with it. And if you, if you believe in, in the idea, I think there's no reason why you can't kind of bring it to life. Love it. So great. Amazing. Well, hopefully I'll see you in the neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can walk right by me on the way to Central Park. Just like yeah. <laughs> I'll, wait. I'll go walk with you or something. <laughs> All right. Well, take care and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 